Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and thank you for joining me for the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today I am sitting here with Kavita Guy. Thank you so much for joining us, Kavita. Thank you so much for having me, Angela. I'm excited to chat with you today. My pleasure. So Kavita Guy is the co-founder and CEO of Nectar, a communication platform for higher ed that uses instant chat to build a community in every class. Kavita founded Nectar in 2018 during her time as a student at UC Santa Barbara and has since raised over $2.25 million to reinvent communication within education on a global scale. Her goal is to make quality education accessible to every student around the globe. As a 25-year-old first-gen BIPOC female founder, it's incredibly important that she earns a seat at the table not only for herself, but for every woman like her who also wants to go down this path to create lasting change in the world. So I love that story. That's fantastic. Um, So let's go into that because there's, what is BIPOC? Tell me about that. Yeah, BIPOC. It's uh, Black Indigenous People of Color. And so I think it's a huge part of my identity. You know, being a female founder, it comes with its own. Oh, oh God, I don't even have to tell you. You know how hard that is itself. Sure, of course. But then you add in all of, you know, the the marginalized identities of Mm. being first generation and being a woman of color. And it sort of just stacks on top of each other. So I think a really important part part of my journey and why I come on podcasts like this is to share that story so that other women who are from those marginalized communities know this is a game that was also built for us to play. Oh, absolutely is. Yes, absolutely. So, okay. I had never heard that, that, um, antonym description. I don't even know how to, but I love it. That's really (laughs) fantastic. So, and, um, so what led you down this path of being a founder? Because being a founder is not for everybody, right? Like I'm sure, as you know, (laughs) there are trials and tribulations But you're in the middle of college studying, getting, I mean, that's a a tremendous amount of workload that you've got on your plate. And then you thought, okay, how can I communicate with my classmates better? I love it. Yeah, basically, I think the idea for sort of changing education in this 400-year-old classroom model Mm. that we still use today, it changed. I think that idea started for me really early on when I was in Mm -hmm. elementary school. I am autistic and I also have ADHD. And so no classroom has ever, ever really felt like a safe space for me. Absolutely. And ever since I was younger, I had this feeling of, God, there's got to be a better way to do this. Uh Education is the precursor to every major innovation we've ever had in history. And I feel like it is the best tool that we have for upward mobility in this country. So if we can pour more time, energy, resources into innovating education at the same rate we do every other part of our lives, Mm. I think we would all see a huge return. And so that's really the foundation of this is we've got a 400-year-old classroom model. It's high time that we update it. And I think the best person to do it is somebody who's just come out of the system, Mm -hmm. who has been a victim of that system, and can tell you, this is exactly why it sucked so much for me this is how we make it accessible for every student that comes after me. Oh my God, that's tremendous. I love, 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 love the courage and the tenacity in that because, you know, you're coming out of it and you've already dealt with so much, you know, when it comes to learning, right? Your learning and development is going to be different. And I think that's a problem with our, their education system now is that it's built it with one model to focus on one type of student, right? And so exactly. you have, you know, 30 students in a class, 20 to 30 students, I don't know. And so you have 20 to 30 students in a class and it might work maybe for half of them. And then the rest of the students either have to fall behind or they're ahead of the stu- the other students and they get bored and then they, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's, it's weird. Like I, I really, I am so proud of you for doing this because Thank what you. an amazing thing to undertake is our education system. Right. And so yeah. I'm 
I'm glad that there's so many different iterations of education now. I'm glad that there's different types of schools and different types of mm -hmm. learning and charter schools. And we're challenging the public school system and mm -hmm. we're challenging the model that's always been. So, so tell me exactly. about, tell me about um, when you started your company. So what, what kind of challenges did you have in launching? Yeah. Oh God. Every single one that you could name probably, yeah. probably ran into every single one, right. but um. We, my co-founder Jordan and I, we started Nectar when we were a sophomore and junior, respectively, in college at UC Santa Barbara. And when I first got to college, I, like I said, first generation student, and I'm an only child. And oh, so wow. my only idea of what college looked like was from the movies. Mm. And you learn pretty quickly, it's not like the movies. It's mm. a lot tougher than that. And I went from a 2,000-person high school campus to a 27,000-person college campus. Yeah. And three days of orientation is not enough to tell you how to navigate that space, yeah. especially when you have this pressure of, you know, here's the place where you're going to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. And you've <laughs> right. got four years to do it. Yeah. And congratulations, you're 18. Here you go. You're on your own. Mm -hmm. So it's it's tough for anybody coming into school. But when I got to college... I just had a really disappointing experience with it. UC mm -hmm. Santa Barbara is beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. right on the beach. It's the best place that you could ask to go to school. But I couldn't understand why if I was paying $40,000 for this education that's supposed to be one of the top 15 public universities in the nation, why was I sitting with 500 other people in my classes learning stuff that I could have gone on Google or YouTube and figured out myself I just mm -hmm. really couldn't understand if this is supposed to be the pinnacle of education, why isn't it? Why right. doesn't it feel like the best of the best? And mm -hmm. if any country is going to do it, it's going to be the U.S. And so right. if this is what a top tier education looks like, now I understand why we have so many pervasive issues across society, because we are not setting up each generation the way that we need to be for them to succeed. And college right. is the place that we promise them that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I realized very quickly, it's just not, that's just not how it is. Yeah. So I went through my entire freshman year thinking, I, I want to drop out so badly. Like this just is not cut out for me. I could be spending my time so much better elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Do I really need a degree? Is this really something that I need as a means to an end? You know, mm -hmm. asking all those questions that I think a lot of freshmen have. Right. And I I just I had this feeling of my parents immigrated to this country for me to get this education. Yeah. I've got to stick it out for them. And while that kept me in school, I wasn't happy about it. And right. I didn't feel like I was really gaining any value from it, to be honest. And the only thing that really made college worthwhile for me that made me want to stick around was a business fraternity that I joined. And wow. I realized once I had found my people, my community, that while you might come to college for the education, you stay for the people. Mm -hmm. That's really what you identify with. When you leave school and you feel really proud to say that's my alma mater, you say that because of the people that are still with you, the network that right. you've built, the connections that you've made. That's really the salient part of college. And that finding my community all of a sudden made $40,000 worth it. Yeah. And that was a really pivotal moment in my life of realizing I get it now. I get what the point of college is, right. but there's got to be a better way to find your community easily, get that value at scale, and really just have the have a better time building that connection and that network, which is what you need to thrive in any industry. You've got to have the connections. Yeah. So I, you know, went through college with that mindset of okay, the community. This is the important part. This is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. But I had one really, really incredible teacher that just totally changed my idea of what the classroom part of education could look like. I love and I that. think that's a familiar story for a lot of students, right? You have one really incredible teacher that changes your life. And for me, that experience was so pivotal that I started a company and I started a movement off of it. And essentially, this class I, I took one summer. It was the summer before my junior year. And, oh, God, classes over summer at Santa Barbara, 
you can smell the beach from the class. You can hear the waves. <laughs> the last place that you want to be is sitting in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And so all of us had this idea of, all right, we're just going to go pick up the syllabus on day one and then we'll go to the beach afterward. Like we just won't go to any lectures yeah. in between. We'll just show up to the final and take the test. We'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And it was a theories of communication class. So the second year theories in the title, you're like, yep, I'm out of it. Yep. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and uh, we walk in on day one. And uh, over summer, the instructors are usually grad students. They get to mm. teach over summer. Okay. So Spencer, our instructor, a little bit younger, a little bit more tech savvy. But I think more importantly, he was a student himself. So he understood none of us want to be in that classroom. Mm-hmm. And he sits us down on day one and he turns on an oil diffuser and he puts on a Spotify playlist. Like he was really doing everything in his power to get us to stay in that class. Mm-hmm. And he sits us all down and he turns around. And the first thing he does before he says a word is he writes the link to a Slack workspace on the board. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with Slack, it's an enterprise level chat tool. So basically what every company uses to communicate way better than email. Right. And I had used, seen it be used in my internships and in my jobs, orgs I was part of, but I had never seen that be used in a classroom. And he turns back to us and there's about 150 people in this class. And he says, I need you to trust me. We're going to do this class different than you've ever seen class happen before. But I have a feeling that this is going to work way better. So just trust me. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't want you to raise your hand ever. I don't want you to send me or the TA a single email. I don't even want you to come into office hours. If you have any issue in class, whether it's in the middle of lecture or two in the morning before the midterm, your first line of action is going to be to put your question in this chat with everybody else in the class. Because, he said, I guarantee that one of the 149 people around you is going to have a better and faster answer for you than me or the TA will. Mm -hmm. He said, if you can explain something to somebody around you, if you can answer one of their questions, I'll give you extra credit for that because that lets me know that you understand the topic that I just taught you so well that you can then go relay it to one of your peers. And that is the highest level of mastery that you can achieve when you become the teacher. Mm -hmm. And he said, that is actually how I'm going to grade you in this class. I'm going to observe the conversation. I'm going to see how you're able to help the people around you. And if you can talk about the material, I know you've learned it. I'm not going to make you regurgitate it to me in a multiple choice exam that you're just going to memorize. So immediately he got it. He understood. You guys are tech savvy. You've got your phones out in the middle of class anyways. You're not going to raise your hand. Who raises their hand anymore? Right. But I know you have questions and I know you need answers to them. So he metaphorically turned the chairs inward. Mm -hmm. He said, you're not just going to have one teacher. You're going to have 149 teachers. Yeah. And that way you get the answer that you need. You get the help you need faster than you ever have before. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that means that you're learning at a higher level than you have before as well. Wow. And the second he said that, you felt the energy in the room change. All of a sudden, all of us were like, mm, I might actually stay in this class. This sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was that promise of. The same feeling that you get in elementary school when you had your desk mates and it was like five or six of you and you were facing each other and you knew you'd come to class every day and sit down and get to talk to your classmates. And it was that exciting feeling again of I might actually make friends here. I might make connections here. I'm going to meet somebody new. And it felt like a community. And it was the first time that I had had that feeling of having a community in the classroom. And unsurprisingly, I got the highest grade that I got in any class in college. I'm still friends with people from that class today. And I left that class like a dog with a bone. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's how we change education. Wow. We use technology in a thoughtful way to finally upgrade our educational experience to make it modern and to allow students to do what they've already been doing. We Mm -hmm. called it cheating for years. But in reality, students are asking for help from one another because they need it. We have nowhere else to go get it. And so I left that class and approached UCSB and said, if me and 27,000 other people are paying you $40,000, why can't you put Slack in all of our classes? Mm -hmm. That would mean that it doesn't matter if the instructor is good or not. It doesn't matter if the material is tough or not. We would have exactly the resources that we need to succeed 
Mm-hmm. And if we can succeed in our classes, that means we're much less likely to drop out of school as a whole. So if this one piece of technology can solve all of our problems that we're having right now, why can't you implement this? Absolutely. And that was the first time that I realized why the U.S. education system is the way it is, because it took five weeks for someone on that campus to figure out who could even answer that question for me. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That is how siloed and distributed the departments are on every campus in the nation. Mm-hmm. There is no communication. There is no way for students to say, we need this kind of technology. And there's nobody building the technology that we really need. Because mm-hmm. if you look at all of the tools in the education space, they look and feel like they've been built by people who haven't been in the classroom for at least the last 10 years. Absolutely. And it's because they are being built by people who haven't been in the classroom for 10 years. Wow. The only way that we're going to get students to actually use technology on their own volition and authentically engage with it is mm-hmm. if it being built from their perspective, from somebody who's just been in the classroom and knows this is what I would use. So I know that these students are going to use it too. Right. It's got to look like the apps that we're already using today. Absolutely. Otherwise, we're not going to jump into it. Right. So that was really where the idea of Nectar started. It was never... I want to go start a company or this is a problem that I really want to solve myself. It just sort of landed in my lap. And it was one of those moments that you have as an entrepreneur where you realize, oh, my God, this is that moment where I have found that low hanging fruit that is just a no brainer. It's a gold mine, and nobody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm the one who's supposed to. And yes. that was the moment that I decided if Slack for schools doesn't exist, I'm going to go build it. Awesome. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So good for you. And good for you for recognizing the problem and something that can, that can, you know, not if you're having the problem, other people are having the problem, right? And so good for you for recognizing that and then doing something about it, because it takes a lot of courage. Like I know people are like, I had that idea 20 years ago. Well, did you have the courage to do something about it? (laughs) Right, right. Did you say, you know, I'm going to make everyone's problem my problem and I'm going to go solve this for them. And so that's really what it takes. And not everybody has that. So good for you. Exactly. So, so let's talk about, so first of all, let's give that, that instructor some credit because I mean, he deserves some major accolades. So what's his name? Spencer Nichols. And I still to this day tell him that he inspired this whole thing for me. Good for you. You really just need one really incredible teacher to show you, you can do things differently. Mm -hmm. And that I think is really the premise of Nectar itself. People ask, what does Nectar mean? Why the name Nectar? And my co-founder, Jordan, actually came up to with it, but it refers to the cross-pollination of ideas Yeah, because Jordan and I came from totally separate majors, totally separate backgrounds. But because we were able to find a connection through our friends on campus, we meet each mm-hmm. other and we're able to build this company together. And we really think that that's what the purpose of college should be, to yeah. go and find connections with people that you would have never before And hopefully the next nectar emerges from one of the conversations happening on our nectar. Absolutely. Well, and I'm a big believer in college, not because of the education that you get necessarily, but because in my opinion, and this is what I've pitched to my son, who's going to be graduating from from high school, you know, soon, I keep telling him like, it's not that I want you to, he's like, well, I'll learn more out in the real world. And I said, you absolutely will. I've learned more about business in because I am an entrepreneur than I ever learned in school, but it teaches you foundational things that you can then use to implement into your business and save you potentially time and money in making those mistakes. But it's also, it's that perfect hybrid between being an adult and being a child, right? So you're leaving Mm -hmm. your, your parents nest and you're going off on your own, but you're living in a bed, a a bubble, you know, you're living in a bubble where you're still protected, you're still guided, but you have that independence to make decisions for yourself, right? And Absolutely. So, you know, that decision that you made to like say, okay, you know what? I'm going to stick this out in this class because there's something in this class that I need that is going to inspire me and it's going to move, you know, the needle for me. And it did. It absolutely did yes. that. But, you know, you had that ability to make that decision and it made the difference for you. So I totally agree with that sentiment. I think it's so important what you just said, that it's not necessarily about the education. Right. It's the fact that you have this bubble for four years Mm -hmm. where 
it's really low risk for you to try new things and figure out who you are. Like the only reason that we were able to make this company work is because we had two years while we were in college where we went and asked every instructor, administrator, dean, chancellor at any school that would talk to us. We said, hey, we're just a couple of students. You know, we're just some young people who want to change the world. Can you give us some of your time? Can you tell us how if you were to adopt technology like this for your school, what would you want it to look like? Yeah. And we probably we had a goal of talk to 10 new people every single week. We just as long as we hit 10 new people every week, we knew we'd eventually get enough information, enough R&D to really know what to build. And two years later, after talking to thousands of people, we finally knew. And the only way that we could have gotten all of those meetings and even, you know, had the time and resources given to us by our university is by being a student and saying, pulling that student card and saying, I'm doing this because I want to learn. Can you help me learn? And the whole world opens up for you as long as you go approach it with that aspect of I am a student. And it honestly, I think that goes even past being in school. I think as long as you're approaching people and saying, I just want to learn from you. Right. I have found time and time again, people will always give you a meeting. They will always give you the time of day. As long as you're approaching them and saying, I know you have something to teach me, please, I would like to sit here and learn from you. Absolutely. So so now you start Nectar, right? And so now you have this actual, how do you develop the prototype for this? What, what does that look like? Do you have yeah, a technology a background? I I actually don't, and neither did my co-founder. This was Mm -hmm. very much like, let's just figure out how to do this somehow. So basically, when we had the idea, we initially thought, not even building a company, but let's just go figure out why they can't put Slack in schools, right? Like that tool worked in my one class. Why would we not put it in all of them? And this wonderful woman, Mindy Collin, she was one of the instructional designers at UCSB. She sat us down and kindly walked us through the logistical hell of Mm -hmm. putting an enterprise level tool in 1500 classes every quarter. Uh She said, look, it would work in one class because you had a really tech savvy instructor who knew how to set it up. That is not going to happen when professors are on average 55, Mm -hmm. have never touched social media technology like this. And it's an enterprise type tool. It's just not going to happen, she said. And we left that meeting not hearing no, but instead hearing a roadmap of exactly how we would build the solution that didn't exist. We knew, okay, instant chat works. Students are using this on Discord. They're using it on Twitter and Instagram and iMessage. They love this kind of technology. It's familiar to them. Mm -hmm. So what if we use that same technology, but built it to actually fit into a campus of 27,000 people? So Hmm. we said, all right, let's put together some open source technology off the shelf, some mm-hmm. basic no-code tools on top of it. Now it's super easy to put together an MVP, a minimum viable product of just, I have an idea, let's test out a basic version of it. And that's what we did. We didn't spend any money because we didn't have any. And I think that's the good right. part about being students is you get scrappy about it. And we said, all right, let's prove UCSB wrong. Let's see yeah. if we can get all 27,000 people at our campus using this in their classes then we can prove that there is a better way to communicate on campus. There's Mm -hmm. a better way to learn and that it's actually a viable option. And it took us two years to do it. But by 2020, we got all 27,000 students at UCSB using Nectar in almost every single one of their classes with the instructors being the champion. Wow. And we got UCSB to pay us a license for it. So we got our tuition back, which was great. That's fantastic. (laughs) It was awesome. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment that we knew, okay, we've proven this out. We can now go do this at every single one of the other 5,000 colleges and universities Mm -hmm. in the U.S. and beyond. Um, But back to the technology piece of it, It was really scrappy. Like I said, it was the initial version of it was just us pulling together as much code as we could off of the Internet that already Mm -hmm. existed to Mm -hmm. basically make a wireframe version of what Nectar looks like today. So I think for any entrepreneurs out there, the best piece of advice that I have when it comes to how do I actually make the first version of the product it's going to look duct taped together and you've got to put it out into the world while it's still embarrassing because Mm -hmm. all you need is for people to tell you, yes, I would use something like this or no, I wouldn't. And if you get enough yeses, go raise some money, build out the full version of it, but don't spend any money on it until you know the Mm -hmm. basic premise flies. Yeah. 
I love it. So, so that's just some incredibly sage advice because so many people do the fundraising first, you know, Hey, I have an idea and I go out and raise a bunch of money. And then what they do is they come up with these ridiculous versions that don't work, that they've now spent tens of millions of dollars on that's garbage, Mm -hmm. you know, and so they're, they're not really doing their market testing first. Right. And so I, I, I love entrepreneurs who bootstrap and and start with nothing until they actually get something. Like those are my mm-hmm. favorite entrepreneurs, right? Because those are the ones that I see out there really being gritty. When I see somebody, you know, who's, you know, 20, you know, who, who's in college and just raised $25 million for a business that doesn't exist, has never made a profit and doesn't have any users. I'm always like, who invested in that? Like, why? <laughs> who, who just said, I have a pile of cash and I'd really love to either throw it in the toilet or burn it. Oh, wait, here's somebody I can give it to. <laughs> and it's like, who does that? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I don't know. But, no, exactly. And I think that's it speaks how I feel to about it. Totally, totally. Mm -hmm. And I think it speaks exactly to your point about, you know, school, being in school and being in college It is sort of this bubble that shields you from the world. Mm -hmm. Also in the sense that you're already used to having no money. And so starting a company at that time and bootstrapping it doesn't hurt as much as it will when you're 30 something and you actually have mouths to feed and Mm -hmm. a mortgage to pay. Mm-hmm. The reason that we were able to bootstrap for a couple of years was because we were used to being broke. Yeah. It didn't matter to exactly. us that we weren't making a salary. And it and makes so you a better it was... entrepreneur. It makes you a yes. better entrepreneur. You have to think exactly. through decisions, right? You have to think it through. Yes. You have to get creative. You have to say, okay, how can I get this for free or almost free or create it myself? Or how do I learn enough to not be taken advantage of when I do try to get somebody else to kind of, you know? So you have to, totally. you, it forces you to become better at what you do. Exactly. You sort of have to find the shortcut way out of everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes your discernment really, really incredible. Like we like that is the precision of knowing this is the cheapest route for me to get what I need. I think it's exactly why even when we went to raise two and a half million dollars, we have stretched it out for so long because we know it's not about, you know, getting to that point where you get investor money and then great, we get to just blow it on everything and buy offices and hire a bunch of people. Right. No, we still go as slowly as we were before. We just now know we have the money to execute on the things that we're really, really sure about. But we still use that scrappy duct tape version for most things that we do. Yeah. We'll spin up a really basic version of it, test it out with a few users, make sure that it really works before we spend any serious money building absolutely anything in this company. And I think it's practice that we'll have now until we're, you know, a thousand people, we'll keep Mm -hmm. doing the same thing because that is what works. Yeah. And it it builds, you build a better company because of it. You're you're a better entrepreneur because of it. And you build a better company before, you know, it's going to be more sustainable down the road because you're thinking through those decisions. So I love that you've raised money now. So what was that process like, especially as a female founder? Walk me through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. When you see the statistic of only 2% of VC funding each year goes to female founders, yep. even a fraction of that goes to women of color founders. Yep. Oh man, that was a, a tough thing to approach. I really yeah. thought that it was going to be the most teeth pulling painful process that I've been through. And It wasn't as bad as I thought, surprisingly. And I think that there are some there's some tips that I have for founders. I just got off of a call with a founder who reached out to me and said, you know, I'm a woman going through this and it sucks. How Mm -hmm. did you navigate this space? And the reason I say that it's not as hard as it looks is I don't want other female founders to be scared of the process. Yeah, I'm not saying it's going to be a walk in the park. Right. But. It looks like from the outside that this was a game that was not built for us to play. Mm. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. It's a facade that I truly think has been created around this space to gatekeep. I think it's meant for people who don't come from entrepreneurial backgrounds or don't come from a ton of money to get scared of because – Anybody would. If you haven't seen that kind of money, you would think, especially me as a 24-year-old, to 
have the confidence to say, yes, you can hand me two something million dollars and I promise you I'll do something good with it. I've never seen that kind of money in my life. Right. So that was, I think the first step of raising money is to reconcile with yourself that you are deserving of that capital, Mm -hmm. that you will do something good with it. You won't squander it. You are the person to get it. Because it can be very easy to cut your own legs off with imposter syndrome before you even take any steps. Oh, 100%. So I think the very first step of that process was convincing myself, this is the solution that's going to change education. And I Mm -hmm. am the best person to go do that. There is nobody else in the world who can do this but me. That's why I have to go raise this money and do it. And once I had really, really believed that I had the conviction of that thought within myself, That was when I was able to craft the best story possible to go convince others to join this movement with me. And that is how I sold the entire round. It was really a storytelling process Mm -hmm. of exactly the story that I just told you and convincing them, this is why I am the best person to pull this off. Hmm. My investors have told me time and time again, we had traction, we had contracts, we had great stuff to show for in the business by the time we went to go raise. But the reason that they put money into this company was me. That's awesome. And that is, I think, the best piece of advice that I can give to female founders out there. Mm -hmm. You have an incredible story to tell and Mm -hmm. people want to hear it. And that is what is going to give, make people give you that check. It's going to be that emotional tug that they have towards your story, your life story, your purpose for being here. That's what they will give you money for. Absolutely. Yes. I love it. So good. Good for you for getting out there. And, you know, because I've heard of other female founders who have said, well, you know, I just I have a male partner and I sent them in to meet with the VCs or I did this. And I'm like, but why? Like, why, why, why? Like, let's let's go back to the power you have. You know, you have power. You have power in your story. Like you were saying, you have power in in what you do and how you do it and what you say and your charisma. You own if you own that, you own the room. And so absolutely. Yeah, I I would never let anyone else tell my story when it comes to something so important. So good for you. Thank you. And I think really the key part of it and the credit has to be given to my lead investor, Julie Henley, Uh just having a woman to stand with you and say, I believe in this vision. I believe in this company. It makes a world of a difference. And so I think that the only way that we break that statistic of only 2% of women being funded is if we as women band together and support each other that's the way that this change is going to happen. And Absolutely. so to have been able to found an incredible female mentor and investor from the start, I think set me up from success very early. And I wish that same luck on every female founder out there. That's fantastic. Good for you. So tell me through this journey, who inspires you? Because I mean, obviously what you're doing is super inspiring, but where do you find your inspiration? That's a great question. I I had this moment that stands out to me when we were in school at UC Santa Barbara. It's a research institution, so there's no business school. There's no entrepreneurship school, um, but they do have a pitch competition. And oh. we joined that pitch competition thinking, OK, well, at least we'll get some knowledge of how to sell this thing, how this business works. Right. And on the first mixer that we went in, it's like, 200 people in the room, a lot of energy. Everybody's excited. You know, all these people coming in with an idea on a napkin and it was great. Mm -hmm. But it was 95% men in that room. Mm -hmm. And I remember when they sat us down and they started talking, you know, their speech was very inspirational. They were really trying to get us to feel like we could do it, that this is exactly the right place to be at the right time. And it was, and it's a necessary story to tell, right? You have to, as a founder, you have to be an eternal optimist. There's no other way. You have Mm -hmm. to believe that you can do it against all odds. So I appreciate that they started with that story, but part of that initial, you know, pitch that they gave to us of why we should be starting these companies was asking us to think about other founders who inspired us. You know, think about Steve Jobs and Elon Musk's and how they did it. And they came from nothing and look at them now. And they had us sit there and and think about exactly the question you're asking me. Who is the person that inspires you? Who 
can you model your company after? You know, if they can do it, you can do it. And I remember distinctly the feeling of sitting there thinking, I cannot think of a single person. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of a woman who looks like me, who mm-hmm. comes from a similar background, who has built a billion dollar company from scratch, who started in college and said, I'm going to fix a really pervasive issue in the world. And she did it and she pulled it off. That's not to say that there aren't any. Right. There are so few that I didn't have one off the top of my head to point Mm. to and say, she inspires me. If she could do it, so can I. Right. That's a terrifying feeling to be sitting there thinking, I have never seen anybody that looks like me do this before. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's a reason why no one like me has done this. And I couldn't help but have that thought. And that moment, I decided if nobody else has done this before. I've got to be the first one because I cannot have any other woman experience that same feeling that I did of sitting in that room thinking, am I really supposed to be here? Every single woman in the world should have another woman that they can point to and say, if she did it, so can I. Amen. We've got to pave this path. Mm -hmm. And so as tough as it is to say that I don't really have somebody that I can point to and, and say you know, she really inspired me. I know I can follow the same path. I think I am the person who inspires myself. I've found a way to see the light at the end of every single tunnel that I'm in. And I won't lie, this has been that sort of experience where it feels like it's a no after a no after a no. But Mm -hmm. that is why I say I think the most important quality for a founder to have, especially a female founder, is eternal optimism. Mm -hmm. You have got to be your number one cheerleader before anybody else because there's probably going to be a good chunk of time where you won't have any other cheerleaders. Uh, And that's how it was for me for the first four years of this company. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you raise money and everybody says, oh, I always knew you could do it. It's amazing. <laughs> Overnight success. <laughs> Overnight success. Five years in the making. Right? <laughs> wow, that was fast. How did you do that so quickly? You're so exactly. lucky. Lucky. I you love know. it when I say lucky. You're so lucky. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Exactly. My dad right. always said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. That's right. And I think it is my one of my most favorite quotes in the world that mm-hmm. as long as you're prepared and you see that window of opportunity and you jump through it, mm-hmm. that's where the luck happens. That's right. Yeah. There's no such thing as um, just kind of that serendipitous, you know, luck, you know, that like, oh, wow, I was just walking along and all of a sudden somebody gave me $2 million to start a company. Nope, didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so, I wish. Oh, right? how great would that be if it just came off, fell off the tree? I would love that. Yeah, overnight <laughs> success. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, I love that. That's that's amazing. And, you know, that was really actually the point, point of the podcast. You know, the point of the podcast was to give women other women to, to look up to, you know, to say, hey, right. look she's doing it. She's doing exactly what I'm, I'm envisioning doing. She did it. I can do it. I can learn from her. I can emulate her like, and, and, and that was something, you know, when I started doing a little bit of business coaching during the pandemic, because, you know, my business was shut down. I was one of those, you know, businesses that, you know, kind of was the victim of a a pandemic too. We, we didn't, had no business, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I started doing business coaching for something to do and found that the women were just so eager to learn from other women because it's not something you run across in your day-to-day life for most of us. You know, for me, I've had a couple of really great mentors that were male, you know, but I've never had Mm -hmm. a female mentor in business that really walk me Mm -hmm. through and say, Hey, listen, this is what we need to do. This is why things are going to be a little bit different, but don't worry. We're going to navigate it. We're just going to do this a little bit differently. And, you know, yes, you can still do it. And yes, imposter syndrome is a real thing. And yes, you're still going to sit at the table at the board meeting and you're not going to take notes for everybody. You're going to con- contribute. Right. Yes. And so like yes. these things, like this is what you want to hear from another woman. And there's mm-hmm. just not enough of it. You know, there's not enough of it. Like I hear about it in these big corporations, they'll have these mentoring programs, but what about us? You know, what about us who were, we're entrepreneurs, you know, we were coming out of college and saying, I'm doing this. I have an idea. 
where do you find your resources, right? And so exactly. that was kind of the point of the, the Pretty Powerful podcast is that I wanted to provide this safe space for women to talk about their success, their journey, their obstacles for other women. But, you know, and, and surprisingly, and one of the most powerful things about this is that we actually have a fairly large male audience, which is awesome because they're learning from us too. <laughs> you yes, know? And, exactly. and there's so much power in that. And so, you know, it's one of the most humbling parts of this entire journey. But so tell me, you know, as women, we give away our power so much, like we will give Mm -hmm. somebody else credit for our work, or we'll let them criticize us, or we'll we'll let somebody else take something from us, you know, And, and most of the time that translates to power. So tell me about a time that as a woman, you've given your power away, and then another time that you maybe stepped back into your power. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think this is especially tough for me being so young, mm-hmm. I, I think the imposter syndrome at the beginning really came from what I think is a very valid criticism of myself that I don't know what I don't know, right? Yeah. I'm young. I haven't done this before. I'll be the first to admit that if yeah, I haven't done sure. this, I'm going to need some guidance on you know how the business works. And I think sometimes I notice this a lot with women. I think one of the key differences in younger female founders and younger male founders is I noticed that male founders have this sort of go at all costs mentality that they don't really stop to think, do I have the skill set or not? They don't care. (laughs) They just do it anyways. And they'll make the mistake and figure it out after. Mm -hmm. Women, I think we have a tendency to be a lot more thoughtful before we execute something. We sort of think about our actions and our words before we say them and do them. And so inevitably, we also have a moment of, well, I don't have the experience for this. Mm-hmm. And I think that it can be a paralyzing moment. Yeah, There is one of my favorite things to remind my team about is to not fall into analysis paralysis. I say that where all you get the time. into, mm-hmm. right? You get into a yeah. thought loop and you think a little bit too deeply about something. Yeah. And you can absolutely sit and look at something from a million different angles. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be better off executing it after you've seen all of those angles. Right. So sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking, oh, I'll just keep thinking about it before I do it. So I think one of the first things that I think of of how I've given my power away and it was a very very valuable lesson to learn was when I first started hiring people in this company I kept thinking I've got to hire people who've got so much more experience than I do Mm -hmm. and it tended to be men Mm -hmm. and it was this thought of well they've done this before they must know how to do it better than I do and I learned the hard way that just because we've always done something a certain way or there is a way that you know businesses operate it does not mean that we should continue to do those things right i mean take education itself just because we've done it for 400 years in the same way does not mean that we should continue doing it in that way mm-hmm. so i think the same exact logic applies to business and There were many incidents in the beginning of building this company after we raised money where I let the men in the room either repeat my same idea back to me in slightly different words (laughs) and pretend that it was theirs. And I sat there and took it Mm -hmm. or I let them tell me, no, you know, I know that this is how you want to do it, but that's just that's just not how we do it in the business. Like, this right. is the way that I've done it for 20 years, so we're going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I said, I rolled over and I said, you know what? You're right. You're the expert. I hired you because you have that information. Sure, let's do it in that way. And I, like I said, had to learn the hard way that in a lot of those incidents, my initial idea, that idealistic view of how a business should be run it actually would have worked better than the way mm-hmm. that we've always done it. Right. And mm-hmm. I I say this as a piece of warning for young women out there who are building a business. Yes, there are going to be things that you don't know. And of course, there's going to be people out there who can teach it to you. And you should let people teach you things. Mm-hmm. But take every piece of knowledge that you get with a grain of salt. Right. Even if it's the best thing that you've heard in the world. It doesn't necessarily mean that you should do it in that same way. 
Mm. We should constantly be questioning our beliefs, no matter who they've come from, whether they've come from within or from the people around us. We should always be questioning, is this still the right way to do it? Could there be a better way to do this? Because that is what innovation is. It is finding a better and better and better way to do something. And the day that we stop saying, is there a better way? That's when you get stuck. Right. I think that the quote that the day you stop learning is the day you die couldn't be more true. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is really what I will apply to the lesson on taking my power back. There can always be a new way to do something. And as a young person, you can create that new way to do it. It doesn't have to be wrong just because you're young or a woman. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, and I think trusting one thing that we are gifted with is intuition, right? And intuition Mm -hmm. is one of those things where in our gut, we're like, that's just not the right way to go about it. But we, we doubt it all the time. We were like, yeah, it must be wrong, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and inevitably it really never is, you know, like that's the one thing that I think as women, we don't trust enough is our intuition. Like, yeah, that goes a little bit creepy or, Hey, that's not the best idea. Exactly. (laughs) And sometimes it's hard to explain, right? You can't sit in a board meeting and say, well, you know, my intuition is telling me. And so I'm going to do that. Right. So I think, You're so right about that. And my intuition is a huge part of how I run my business. But Mm. I've just found a really good way to explain it to people so that I don't have to say it's a gut instinct. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, good for you. Good for you. So what advice would you give to your 18 year old self if you can dial it back to, you know, just starting in college, just getting your feet wet in that new experience in life? What would you tell yourself? Yeah. I think about this a lot, and I think the most critical piece of advice that I would give to my 18-year-old self is at the end of every day, look at the absolute value of how much you've moved. Mm. What I mean by that is we can focus a little bit too much on milestones. Mm -hmm. Did I achieve this big goal? Did I do something that is noteworthy that other people can congratulate me for? And if you live your life by milestones, there's a lot of room in between to be disappointed in yourself and be mean to yourself about how little progress you've made. Yeah. Best measure of progress is have you just done something that day? Have you moved, whether it's an inch or a mile, it doesn't matter, but have you moved even a step forward that day? And if you have, congratulations. Good job. You did what you were supposed to that day. Mm -hmm. You might, to my 18-year-old self, I would tell her, for the love of God, please stop being so hard on yourself. You are not going to have all of the answers. They are, you're never going to have, it doesn't matter if you're 99, you're not going to have all the answers. Mm. And that's actually the fun part of life. Yeah, It's to know that there's always something left to learn around the corner. Yeah, And I think once you choose to see the silver lining perspective of everything, because there always is one, Mm -hmm. that's the only way that you're going to fix that inner critic in your voice that can sometimes sound a lot meaner than you would want it to. It's by acknowledging that even just one step a day forward is all that you need. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Well, good. So I am really enjoying this conversation. I don't want it to end because I think just you have so much great Great insight. But so I I want to ask you one last question. It's just something that's kind of along the same lines of what we were just talking about. But what mm-hmm. do you wish more people knew just in general? What do you wish more people knew? Mm. I think actually something that is really concrete that I love to leave people with that I've learned through building this business. When we first started using Nectar in classes, right? We gave students this opportunity to ask and answer each other's questions. Mm -hmm. We saw something really interesting happen. And it was that it actually seemed like students were grasping the topics at a deeper level. Hmm. And I kept thinking, why does it feel like they're learning better? And this was one of those gut instinct things I couldn't really explain at that time. Right. But from the way that students were talking about it, it was really, they, they sounded like teachers. They sounded like They were teaching the material to each other. It wasn't just here's the definition, but they would explain here's why. 
Mm-hmm. And as time would go on in these classes, they get better and better at it. And I kept doing research for years on what is happening here. Like there's a different type of learning occurring. And I finally came across something called the protege effect. And Mm. it is a psychological phenomenon that we now know is one of the best ways for human beings to learn anything, period. So this doesn't matter if you're in school or out of school. Anybody can adopt this into their life. But the phenomenon of protege effect is essentially that when you teach a topic that you've just learned to one of your peers immediately after you learn it, your brain actually registers and retains that information at a deeper level than you would in a different way of learning. Interesting. So the best way for you to learn something and make sure that you retain that information forever is once you've learned it, go teach it to someone else. Hmm. And the crazy thing is the protege effect actually works on inanimate objects too. Really? So even if you have a, a stuffed animal that you sit next to you and you just teach whether you know it's a presentation that you're doing or you want to you just learned a new concept and you want to make sure that you remember it forever grab a stuffed animal sit it down as mm-hmm. crazy as it sounds and literally teach the concept back to the stuffed animal and i promise you your brain will retain that information at such a deep level you will never forget it it's incredible. wow that's so powerful i love it and you can talk to your plants because plants love to be spoken to <laughs> exactly that's a great idea thank you yeah. i'm such a plant mom so i will actually yeah, totally too. start doing that because you're so right plants would love they that love it. Such they a love being talked to yeah oh but, that's um, awesome yeah and and you know peer-to-peer learning i'm hearing more and more about the value of peer-to-peer learning and so i love the concept of nectar because what it does is it really does like you were saying it 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 turns the chairs towards each other, right? And you're doing mm-hmm. peer-to-peer learning and there's nothing more powerful than learning from your peers, which is why I think TikTok is so important, right? Because you have yes. you have people teaching other people really powerful things. And it's not just about the silly dances and the goofy memes and all that stuff. It's really like the, the ones that I find to be the most intriguing are the ones who are out there as influencers teaching positive lessons to people at their own age level. And that's where people are learning the most, right? If they see somebody who looks like you, who acts like Mm -hmm. you, who has the same interests as you, learning from you is is where the power is. And so that peer-to-peer learning is is, is just such a great tool. So, I mean, I applaud you for what you're doing. I mean, good for you you for jumping into the tech space, for conquering your fears, for getting out there, for being a female founder. And on top of that, a female founder of color. I mean, I've just, you've just got the whole world in front of you and I just can't wait to see what else you do so I think you've got so much much incredible potential right ahead of you so oh I appreciate that so much that means a lot to hear that from you so thank you absolutely so thank you Kavita guy you've been the just the most amazing guest and I wish you incredible success with Nectar and with everything that you're going to do in your life because I know there's just much more to come Thank you so much, Angela. It was wonderful talking to you today. And I hope to be back soon once we've made some more stuff happen. Absolutely. There's going to be more. Tell you all about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's going to be Long more. road ahead of us. Uh-huh. Well, best of luck to you. And everybody, you can find Kavita uh, on our uh, prettypowerfulpodcast.com website. You can check out her, her company, Nectar. And so thank you so much again for everything that you're doing and for, for really challenging the, the status quo and the education system that we've got. So good for you. Of course. All Pleasure right. well, to do it. Absolutely. Well, everybody have an amazing, amazing day. And I wish everyone all the best today. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power. <laughs>